your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Well, hello, this is Catherine, your host. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to provide you with a quick update on Richard East, more notably known as Van Cat Meow. He is the Aussie who travels in his van with his cat, Willow, around Australia. Willow poses for a calendar each year and Rich fundraises for motor neuron disease research. Thank you, Rich, for continuing with your philanthropy. Well, I'm sure you want to hear the update. Well, a big congratulations to Rich. Rich met his soulmate Stephanie and they are now engaged. You can read their story at vancatmeow.com. I had Rich as a featured guest a few months ago here on my podcast. Well, congratulations also to Mamie of New Mexico and Michael of Idaho, whom are both winners of Chris Knoll Music. NASA's Josh Willis, a.k.a. Climate Elvis, will be my featured guest on next week's episode. Well, today's guest uses words and movement to immerse her audience in a unique and intense performance of narrative communications. She inspires people of all generations with a storytelling experience. Elaine Murray. All right, so I'm pleased to introduce Elaine Murray, mm-hmm. and she is an international storyteller. But Elaine, I want to have you introduce yourself in a very, what you do, where you're from, and why you got started into such a wonderful occupation. Well, thank you, Catherine. I was born and raised in western Pennsylvania, and I came from a small town, and my father was a small town barber, and he collected characters. And as a little girl, I used to sit on his green and white metal chairs as all these characters came back and forth. There was men from the steel mills, lawyers, educators, the local hobos, and men from the Mennonite church. So over the years, as I became a witness to some of their stories, I got interested in actually writing about uh, my, my experiences in seeing these characters uh, interact in my bar- father's barbershop. So these are just people that have come in literally just to come in mm-hmm. and have a service provided and then you listened to their stories well it's not so much their stories but it's my stories or my interpretation of of them and how they interacted together but let me say that was my initial interest and i've always been interested in characters and good character development and on top of that which will lead me to where I evolved to. My father was a guy who liked good humor and physicality. You know, he liked the Three Stooges and Charlie Chapman (laughs) and people like that. So um, when I moved to Washington, D.C. right after college, many years afterwards, I fell in love with this company that was called the Stanislavski Theater Company. And in it, uh, in their on their team was a young man by the name, and this is a mouthful, but Pata Sikirishvili. Oh, that is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Took me many years to learn that. And uh, Pata was from the Republic of Georgia, and he was a well-renowned mime, but he also had an MFA in acting as well as film development. So what he did with his experiences which was translate that to the stage. So he and this troupe started a theater company, 
which was uh, very physical in their interpretations of well-known plays. Sometimes these plays were even wordless. Plays uh, from Shakespeare, we think Shakespeare is all about words, but if you saw um, Pata, you would know that it isn't. It's about emotion. And anyway, I fell in love with their work, and I called Pata up one day, and I asked him to work with me, because what I wanted to do is do what he was doing, but on a personal level, as a solo performer. And he said no. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then one day, he said he was just too busy, and then uh -huh. one day, um, I, in the meantime, had taken a lot of workshops, and mine was writing, and this and that. And one day he was offering a workshop, a master workshop on mime. And I showed up and he didn't know, make the connection between me and the phone call, but he made comments about my skill level. And he said, looks like you've done this before. And then at the same time in the Washington Post, there was an article that said he was going to leave Stanislavski Theater and go out on his own as a director, which was probably the best political move he ever made. And I saw a great opportunity. I probably needs the money, and he probably has the time. Uh, yeah. So I asked him to work with me, and he directed much of my work, which is a lot of my work is physical in nature. I mean, I do use narrative, but I interject a lot of physicality into my narrative, and I do tell personal stories as well. You, how long did you do that for? You mean how long did with I work him? with him? I worked with him probably a straight four years wow. to develop a good foundation in that I could market. I started with folk tales because I looked at it from a business standpoint in that folk tales are used in schools and they're used in libraries. And I thought once I get that developed, then I'll do whatever I want from a personal storytelling basis. So I worked with him about four years, but I still go to his place when I'm in Washington. I still see him. I'm still in contact with him. And anytime I need his help, now that I'm in, I'm sure he'll work with me again if I have a piece to work on. Mm -hmm. So how has that transpired through all of these years from him to where you're at now? Uh, well, in the storytelling world, as I said, where you can work is at festivals and conferences. They're all over the country and all over the world. And you can work in schools and libraries. But um, I had the great fortune to be invited by a company out of Argentina uh, that I had been soliciting for a long time, or about five years, uh, Dream On Productions. They have a niche, and they book native English speaker storytellers into international English immersion schools and uh, internationally. Say that one more time so I can get a grasp. Yeah, and it's a mouthful, too. <laughs> they, their niche, they only take native English speakers. So okay. speakers from Britain, United States, Australia, you know, New Zealand, Canada. And they book them internationally in international English immersion schools. Okay. Those are all over the place. Right. And are we looking at any specific grade level? No, it's all over the board from, well, it starts around four years old to through high school. Okay. I've been doing that with him okay. for and about so five years. So what countries have you been able to take your flair and head over to? I've been to China, Korea, Peru, 
Chile, and Colombia with it. Wow. Wow. So what, tell me about some of those experiences. Like pick one of the countries mm-hmm. and, or two and tell about your experiences with the students that you worked with and how they are taking this forward within their own country. Well, um, the students are different wherever you go. Um, for example, I was surprised to see that how Peruvian students were very shy. Um, it was hard, it's, well, not so hard with the younger ones to get them to interact, but with the older ones, it was hard to, it was like pulling teeth to get them to interact with you. Wow. But um, not so with other countries. I would say, you know, the most well-behaved ones were in China and Korea. <laughs> and um, I don't always tell stories from their culture. My own belief is that we all benefit from learning stories from other cultures. So for the younger ones, my stories are highly interactive in particular. For the older ones, the concepts are more critical com- thinking. Yeah, more, more, more complicated. Okay. So you can... To, I actually like performing for the older students better because you can get a little deeper with them, uh, maybe get them involved in the story endings, get them to think about what the ending might be. You can do something, it, because I'm a physical performer, on one hand they like, well both the younger and the older students like the physicality, but I will say the older ones are a little taken back by it because a lot of the cultures haven't seen what I, the kind of work that I do. So what can you, for the listeners, who don't know what the physicality of storytelling is, can you explain what that entails? Okay. So I often become the characters in the story. I could become, like the story of Arachne, which is a famous myth. Uh, In the end of the story, she becomes a spider. I actually become the spider. Okay. I uh, demonstrate a lot of the weaving. I'm just using this story as an example. I, there's three, two, two characters in Arachne. So I go back and forth with the characters and having worked with Pata, one of the things I always wanted to do, because he used a lot of big swaths of cloths in his production. So in that particular piece I use a big piece of cloth to become a lot of different characters. And um, an old woman, Arachne, Athena, Poseidon, there's a legend from King Arthur that I tell, and I use masks. And so I am Sir Gawain, I am King Arthur, I am Lady Ragnall, I am Sir Grimoire in that story. And each of these characters has to be very distinct physically from each other, and they have to interact with each other very quickly. So someone once asked me, what is the main thing that I work on when I tell a story? And I would have to say transitions, physical transitions. Okay. So going from one character or one time frame to the next. Yeah, it has to be very sharp. Yeah. Very so, sharp. So that the people that are there understand what has just happened. Right, right. And they get it, you know, that, oh, right. now it's another person speaking and, and including the voice. And I do a lot of animal sounds, uh, especially... Okay, let's hear some animal sounds. <laughs> oh, that's good. Keep going. I'm listening. <laughs> oh, let me think. <laughs> um, well, that's the one I do probably the best, but I, a lot of them, I, like I, I do a frog, but 
this is one that you'd have to, it's a visual one where my cheeks blow out and it's my stance and I do a lizard, you know, with cross-eyed and the way I hold my hands. A lot of this, sorry for the listener, they will just have to come see me to, yeah. <laughs> to um, get, get the concepts uh, that I, or the characters that I portray. Mm-hmm. And so you have a show and what is that show going to... I'm actually the producer of it because I produce a storytelling series at Tortuga every other month. And I'm doing a Maori story. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Wonderful. And how, where did you pick up the Maori story? Well, it's funny. It's one of the first stories I learned. And there is a little discussion about whether uh, people like me, who is not a Maori, should be telling stories from that culture. But I feel that I have a little bit of license to tell it for a couple of reasons. One is, it was one of the first stories I learned and where I found it was in the National Storytelling Network, which is the National Association of Storytellers magazine. On top of that, my own personal feelings, it may not be shared by other storytellers, is because I tell this story and I've told it in schools, there's about 6,000 children who now know a little bit more about the Maoris. Well, that's that is actually very important. Culture is important, and I interviewed somebody. He's a world traveler, Marcos from Brazil, mm-hmm. and he had said, "How can I live my entire life without knowing how other people live?" Right. And I really was. I love that quote. And this is storytelling is so important, and teachers do it all of the time, mm-hmm. not in the same fashion that you are trained for, but teachers bring stories to the classroom, and at least most teachers do, and they're from different cultures. Right. And so getting that word out and then going to see a a real storyteller where, again, you have visuals and you use the physicality and so on, brings the story to life. Right. And, you know, there's one thing you, you touched on that I'd like to add. There's a big movement for personal storytelling. And I'm all for it. I'm for any genre storytelling. However, where I think some of the personal storytellers are remiss is that they, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them just skip to personal storytelling and they don't build a good foundation in those stories that have lasted years and years. And they've also changed and the reason they've lasted is because they're good stories. So a foundation in the folk tales, the old folk tales, give you a sense of what will resonate, a good story arc. And I feel that people who miss that step are doing themselves a disservice. And some of the best storytellers I have seen who tell personal stories are those who also can tell a good folk tale. And folk tales are for adults too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and the other thing that folktales do is it allows you to address a subject without yes. kind of just coming out being in your face, you know, in a, a gr- aggressive or abrupt sort of way. Um, Which is why they work so well with children, yes. but adults as well, but why they're so well, so well used in the classroom, yeah. or at least they should be. For years I wanted to tell a story about my mother whose life was basically um, very hard. She was a hard person and really didn't do anything except raise those kids, which is something. But And I finally 
wrote a story, and I intertwined a story about her life with Hans Christian Andersen's The Red Shoes. Oh my. Which is all about failed dreams. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I was able to tell her story. And the other thing I'd like to mention is my own personal journey. I was in a library one day, and I had gotten there early, and I had set up. And so I was at the 398.2 section of the library, which is where all the folktales are. And I saw this book on this shelf, and I was leafing through it, and I got all teary-eyed. The story was about a little girl who had five brothers, and she was so, so small that nobody noticed her. And I thought, what a great story to use uh, for people maybe like me who, where that is resonating, where you aren't really addressing it head on, but using um, metaphor to tell their story and hopefully get resolution. Absolutely. Wow. Well, you're remarkable. And Well, if anyone wants to go to my website, it's www.embodiedvoicestoryarts.com. It's long, but it's easy to remember. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and thank you for sharing the stories of how you became a storyteller. And thank you for, my goodness, being an international storyteller or a world storyteller and sharing that art with others. My and pleasure. it's inspiring. My pleasure. Music by Chris Knoll. Well, thank you for listening to my variety show. You can learn more about storytelling and Elaine Murray from her website, embodiedvoicestoryarts.com, or go to my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, and click on the episodes menu. Next week's episode features the absolute brilliant Josh Willis with NASA by day and Climate Elvis by night. Your Positive Imprint is free to listen to from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, my Facebook page, or iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or any platform that plays podcasts. But please support my podcast by writing positive reviews and hitting those five stars. Download my episodes by subscribing. It's free. Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Subscribe or follow me now.